now that you guys are awake. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome out to River Ridge. Hey, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Welcome to those who might be joining us online as well. However you're joining with us, we are glad that you spent a little bit of time with us as we open up God's Word and let it challenge us and change us. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up up in Cross Lanes and uh, spent my whole summer pretty much at the, at the local swimming pool. And I remember when I was probably in early elementary school that the one life goal that I had was being able to jump off the high dive. I mean, I, as I was a little kid, I'd watch the older kids jump off and do backflips and splash the lifeguards, and I couldn't wait until I was old enough to jump, it off, to jump off that on my, on my own. And one summer, it finally happened. I was finally old enough to climb the high dive. And I remember climbing up the ladder and the more I got up there, I was like, this looks a whole lot higher than it did when I was on the ground. And I inched my way over to the very edge of the diving board and I was scared to death. But then I jumped off and it was worth it. And I share that with you this morning because we are kicking off a brand new 11 week series through the book of Romans. And most people would agree that Romans is kind of the high dive of the Bible. It can be intimidating. It can be challenging, and it's filled with all kinds of technical words, technical theological terms and concepts, and there are some confusing parts in it. Uh, but I take comfort in the fact that even the Apostle Peter said the same thing. At the very end of, of Second Peter, he's Paul, or Peter is talking about Paul, and he says, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. So even the apostle Peter would scratch his head sometimes at the way Paul would phrase things or the way that Paul would describe things. So it's okay if you are a little intimidated, if you are a little confused by this letter, this book of Romans. So what we're going to do over the next 11 weeks is we're going to dive all in. Uh, and we are going to take this multi-pronged approach to, in, to taking in this incredible, later, this incredible letter from, from Paul. And we're going to tackle some of the, the major themes that are found throughout this letter. And so here's a couple of ways we want you to do it. One, play, this is kind of one of those bring your Bible to church with you. Because you're going to mark it up. You're going to take some notes uh, in, in, the, in the margins of it. Um, and then on your way in, because we aren't going to be able to cover every verse of this letter. And on your way in, you also got a little bookmark that has a reading plan that will take you through every verse of this letter of Romans. And on the back, there are some prompts that you can use as, um, as some prompts for you to, to journal your way through it. It, it. it spells this acronym here, where you highlight a, a verse that maybe spoke to you, explain what it was that you think that Paul was trying to do, and then you find some ways to apply and to respond to that in your life. And then on the back side of your notes each week, there are some discussion questions that you can break out with your small group or with your family in order to, to digest more and more of this really amazing letter. And I think that if you will engage with us for this series, that you will find that your spiritual life, that your spiritual maturity goes up one more level. So as we dive into this, let me ask the question of us, like, why study Romans? This is a very long series for us. We don't typically spend this kind of time uh, on, on one particular letter. So why are we doing this time? And, and I think one is biblically, it captures in concentrated form the, the entire theme of the Bible. The theme of Romans is how a holy God can let an, old, an, an unholy person into his presence and not compromise his holiness and in a sense if you can come to an understanding of Romans then you 
then understand how you can read the other 65 books of the Bible because you understand all kinds of different concepts. So so if you are new to the faith, if you are exploring uh, the the Christian faith, this is the perfect series for you to dive in with us because in this letter, we're gonna learn who God is and and what his original plan was for mankind. We're gonna learn where sin comes from and why oftentimes it has such a stronghold on our lives and on our hearts. We're going to learn what God has done about that and what God is continuing to do about that in our lives and how that truth reshapes how we think about our relationship with God, how we view life, how we view the mission of our lives, and how we relate to everyone around us. So the one reason why we're doing this is because biblically it allows us to see the major themes of the Bible in one place. And then secondly, historically, this letter to the Romans is a book that has changed the world as it has changed the lives of people. And some of the most influential men in the history of the church credit their transformation with the teaching and studying of this letter. Uh, St. Augustine in the fourth century came to faith after reading Romans 13. And he had a huge impact on the the church for a a millennium until the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation came as a result of Martin Luther engaging and studying and coming to grips with the grace of God that's found in Romans chapter 1. And then John Wesley credits a a teaching from the book of Romans for calling him out of just cold religion and into a, a saving relationship with God. So God used this letter to bring... Uh, these men that had huge influence on the the history of the church. And in the weeks ahead, it's my prayer that you come to appreciate this letter, this book of the Bible, as many in the past have done. And if you are able to get the basics of this book and the concepts of it under your belt, I don't think that you'll ever be the same. So with that, we're going to dive in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, or if you have your... your, um, your Bible app or whatever you have, turn to Romans chapter one. And whenever you start looking at, start studying a book of the Bible, the the starting point is to understand the context of what is being written. Those who, what, when, why, where types of questions. And in this very first verse of Romans chapter one, Paul's gonna give give us some answers to some of those. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So the very first word we hear Paul. We, we understand that the apostle Paul is the one who wrote uh, this letter. And Paul's journey to this place and time was a very winding one. Paul, uh, he was born Saul. He grew up in the city of Tarsus. And Tarsus was a city known for its education and its universities and, and the emphasis that was placed on higher education. He, he grew up in the shadow of one of the world's best and most reputable universities at the time. His family were devout and devoted Jews. He was named Saul after Israel's first king, King Saul. And later, uh, this guy Saul or Paul would train under Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel was one of the most sought after teachers and rabbis and it was a huge uh, sign of respect and, and he was so good that you didn't choose a teacher like Gamaliel he chose you he was like the Mr. Miyagi of rabbis in the day and he chose Saul and, and Saul was brilliant I mean you think think Ivy League smart think Rhodes Scholar kind of smart and he was a Pharisee and he was hyper devoted to all of the laws that were found in the Old Testament because he thought that is what kept him in right standing with God. Paul says of himself in Philippians that if anybody thinks they are good at keeping the law, I was better. Paul was the best of the best. 
I mean, he was intellectually superior. He was morally superior. And he was this rising star and this brilliant scholar climbing his way up in in the Jewish leadership. And he was so devoted and so zealous about the law that, that when this group of Jews started claiming that this man Jesus was actually resurrected and he was the Messiah that God had sent, he pursued and he imprisoned these these early Christians, and he did so with, with such zeal and such fury that he eventually oversaw the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And while he was on his way from Jerusalem up to the town of Damascus, the, the risen Jesus confronts him, and he rebukes him, and he changes him, and he sets him off on a brand new course. And he calls him to be an apostle. He says, I'm going to send you as my messenger to the Gentiles. And what was the message that this Paul, this newly converted Paul was to do, to to share? It was the gospel of God. So what is the gospel? The gospel, that that word is kind of a churchy word that maybe sometimes you've used or heard it used, but you've never really understood exactly what it means. The gospel literally means good news. And in the the first century, it didn't even have a particularly uh, religious connotation to it. It it was used as a term that if a king were to go and he won a battle and he secured peace and he established his rule, he would send out messengers. He would send out these heralds to share the good news, the gospel, that the war was over, that that in order to, to declare his victory, his peace, and his authority. So here, if you're starting to take notes, here's a working definition of what the gospel of God is. The gospel is the good news that God has overcome sin and death and he offers forgiveness and peace. It's news about a battle that has already been won and it's a call away from religion and into a relationship. See, Paul, Saul understood this, that religion had puffed up Paul to be this proud and self-righteous persecutor of everyone around him. That's just the nature of what religion tends to do to man. But this gospel message, this good news, had humbled Paul to, to a place of servanthood. And Paul was so gripped by this merciful gift from God that he devoted the rest of his life to be a servant to Jesus, to be a servant of this good news, to ensure that as many people as possible could hear this incredible, this incredibly good news of what God had done for them. <clears throat> and since Paul knew that, that he couldn't get to Rome himself, he had tried, but he hadn't been able to get there yet, he decided to write this letter to these believers in Rome to unpack what this gospel message for them was. <clears throat> in the next few verses, uh, Paul is going to describe a little bit more clearly about what this gospel is. It says, in verse two, it says this gospel of God that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul unpacks a lot right there in just a couple of verses. He, he first says that the origin of the gospel is God, that it's not this man-made idea it's not this worldview or philosophy of how to look at life it's this idea actually came from God it was God's plan from the very beginning that he had actually promised beforehand that the old testament and all the prophecies of the old testament is pointing to this man Jesus and this gospel of God 
Paul says at the beginning that the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies are actually the scaffolding that he is standing on as he declares this gospel. And then Paul says not only is the origin of the gospel God, the content of the gospel is his son. That the gospel is about a person. It's not a concept. It's about a relationship with God that's found through a relationship of Jesus. And Paul says that Jesus was fully human and that, that he fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament, that he would come through the lineage of David. But he also said that he was fully divine, as clearly proven by the resurrection. The, the empty tomb is the greatest declaration of who Jesus is, and it removes all doubt that he was, in fact, the Son of God. So the origin of the gospel is God. The content of the gospel is Jesus. And then notice what he says the goal of the gospel is in verse 5. He says, through him and for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So Paul says that the end result that God wants with this good news is an obedient faith. That God did not save us simply to, to, put, to deposit within us this idea, these theological ideas in our heads. The gospel calls us and it reminds us that our call is this obedient faith it's a surrender to the king who won the battle and secured our peace so how did that play out in paul's life how did this obedient faith play out in paul's life what, what was the motivation in paul's life for sharing this good news we're going to pop down to verse 14 and we're going to see three i am statements that, that show clearly what paul's motivation was for sharing this good news and also what the motivation should be in our lives as well so verse 14 paul says i am obligated both to greeks and non-greeks both to the wise and the foolish paul sees himself as as obligated to share this good news to everyone that no matter their ethnic background no matter their social status, no matter their intellectual capacities. Paul is saying that it's not a matter of educated or not. It's not a matter of being successful in life or not, that everyone needs the gospel message, and he feels obligated to share that with them. And the word obligated actually means indebted. And the first thing that comes to mind when we think usually of being indebted to someone, one way is that if you have loaned me $100, I am now indebted to you until I pay that money back to you. But there's also another kind of debt. If someone gives me $100 to pass along to someone else, I am now in debt not only to the one who gave me the money, but also to the one who is meant to receive it. And that is the kind of debt that Paul feels here. And, he, and, and to not get that money to the person that was intended for is like stealing. And, and that, that is the kind of obligation, that's the kind of debt that Paul has in mind here. God has shared with him, God has given him this good news. But with that news, he also has commissioned to declare that to other people, that there's an obligation to pass it along to someone else. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we see here is that we are obligated to share the gospel. Paul is not the only one that is commissioned to be messengers of this good news. Part of the obedient faith that we're talking about means that we are called to share this with the people around us. In Acts 1-8, the last words that Jesus declares before he goes to heaven, he says, you will be my witnesses to all the world, first in Jerusalem, and then into Judea, 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Jesus is saying that you start with the people close to you and you be my witnesses, you be my messengers of this grace. So those people that you're around every day, who do you think is responsible to share this incredible news of God's grace? Jesus would say that there are people that he has put in your life and in my life that it is now our responsibility that we are indebted to them to be able to share this gospel message to them. The blessing of receiving the gospel in our lives also comes with a responsibility to pass it along to others. And what Paul is reminding us here is to not do so would be the equivalent of stealing, of stealing from God and stealing from someone else the opportunity to hear it. So who are the people that God has placed in your life so that you can be the messenger of his good news, of his gospel? But I think that it's not enough for us to to just feel the weight of that obligation because you you can feel the weight of that obligation but still have this attitude of, well, I guess I have to go share the gospel with my friends. I mean, God says I have to do it, so I guess I have to do it. But look at what Paul's attitude was. Paul says not only am I obligated, even more than that, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel, also to you who are at Rome. And so for us, the attitude has to go away from not only as an obligation, but more importantly, it's an opportunity for us to share the gospel. Um, Paul is saying that in his life, he's like, listen, I, I have felt the power of this gospel message in my life. I, I have a past. I, I have a wicked past. I mean, self-righteousness, check, um, pride, check, murder, check. Paul saying, I, I know who I am and I know that the only hope that I have of salvation is found in what God has done for me. And I know the freedom and I know the peace that it's brought in my life. And, and I want you to experience that same thing. And even after two decades at this point, this is well into to Paul's ministry, even after two decades of repeated struggles with hunger and shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments, as he's trying to get this message out to as many people as possible, he's still eager. And even after seeing the success of some of his labors, as he looks at the Roman Empire and it's now dotted with all these thriving communities of believers, these churches that he's planted, Paul still remains eager to share the message of the gospel with the next person or with the next city that he comes into contact with. Why? Because Paul knows that he has the only cure for the thing that keeps people disconnected from God. And in his mind, he can't sit idly by while people walk around lost and while people walk around hopeless trying to figure out their way through life. It's, um, it would be like having the cure for cancer and keeping it to yourself. There's no way that you could keep that kind of secret That is the source of Paul's eagerness, and it should be ours as well. We have the cure for the terminal disease called sin, and it's good news. I mean, it's changed our lives, and we should want others to experience the same thing that we have experienced. So a challenging question for us is, do we share that same kind of enthusiasm? Do we share that same kind of eagerness to share that with others? If not, maybe the gospel has remained more of an idea, more of an abstract concept than the good news of what God has done. So we've seen that that we are obligated to share and we've seen that we have the opportunity to share the gospel. And then notice another motivation that Paul had. He says, I am not 
ashamed of the gospel. Paul's saying, I, I'm not ashamed. Actually, on the contrary, I'm actually confident in the, in the gospel. So if you're taking notes, the last thing for us to understand is that we can have confidence when we share the gospel. But sometimes that's not the case, is it? Sometimes we lack confidence in sharing. And, and it can come from a variety of different reasons. That sometimes we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody with it. Sometimes we're afraid that it would create some kind of awkwardness and maybe uh, it, it does away with, with a friendship or we think that it would affect a friendship in a negative way. Or, or, or maybe we feel that, that we would be shunned, that, that people wouldn't accept us, that we wouldn't be uh, in with the same kinds of friends that we currently have. Or maybe we lack confidence because we, we don't know how to explain it clearly and we're afraid that somebody's going to ask us a question that we don't have the answer for. And I would say that those are very natural human fears and anxieties. And, and probably Paul struggled with those same kinds of fears from time to time. But in the following two verses, Paul's going to unpack for us what it was that gave him the confidence to boldly share the good news of God. And these two verses, verses 16 and 17, capture the entire theme of the letter that Paul is going to continue to unpack uh, in the rest of the letter. Verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul says that the gospel or this good news is the power of God. The, the Greek word for power there is dunamis. We, we get our word dynamite in the English language from that. Paul is saying that the gospel is powerful. That, that it's, it's not merely a concept or a theory or a philosophy, that in the gospel message, words and power come together and it can change a life. And what does this power do? It says, he says that it leads to salvation. And, and this power it is seen in the ability that it has to change minds, to change hearts, to, to change a person's direction in life and how we view and how we relate to other people. And most importantly, the, the power of the gospel is seen because it can do what no other power on earth can do, that it can save us, that, that it can reconcile us with a holy God, and it can guarantee us a place in his kingdom forever. It, it is the ability of God to do something for man that man cannot do himself and because it demands nothing of man all that is required to know this power and this salvation in our lives is belief Paul says that this offer is boundless that it is for everyone first to the Jews because that message came through Jesus but it's meant for for all but he also sets a limit on it he says that it is for all who believe. Belief is what connects our lives to this power, and without it, we don't experience that kind of power and that kind of salvation in our lives. So what is it about the gospel that makes it so transformative and so powerful? Paul says in verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. If you have your Bibles or underline uh, the, the two phrases, the righteousness of God and by faith, those are two huge themes that Paul is going to keep coming back to throughout this letter. Paul says, I'm not ashamed because in the gospel, the righteousness of God, the, the perfect requirement of God is revealed. 
that, that word righteousness means to have a good or a right standing with someone. It means that you have no debts to them, that, that you are completely accepted because the party has nothing against you. But how can that be true? God, God is perfectly good and he's perfectly holy. He is without fault or without blame and we know ourselves well enough to know I can't be accepted by him. There are things that I've done in my life that would not be accepted to him. And with that, Paul sets up the riddle that the rest of Romans will answer. How can a perfect God let imperfect people into heaven and not compromise his perfection and not wink at what we've done that we know is wrong and that he knows is wrong? And the short answer that Paul gives here is that the salvation is by faith in Christ. One receives right standing before God based on our belief, not on our deeds. It's not trying harder to be a better person, pray more, give more, do more. Instead, salvation from sin and right standing with God is found by faith alone and Christ alone. And through that faith, God declares us right with him. And then Paul concludes this section by saying that the gospel should inform and will inform and infuse the life of a believer, he ends by saying that the righteous will live by faith. I think it's important for us to, to remember and to understand that this letter and this description of the gospel is being sent to the believers that are found in Rome, which tells me that Paul thought that the truths of this good news were just as relevant in the lives of believers as for those that are trying to seek after who God is. The message of the gospel is life-changing, not just for those who have never heard it before, but for us as believers, uh, that we need to be consistently reminded and that, that, the, that it, faith and the gospel is still the power that will transform our lives as well and calls us to grow as believers. And we need that constant reminder um, of the good news of God that he made a way for us to live an eternity with him, but also that we can experience a flourishing life here on earth as he shapes us and he molds us and takes us from where we currently are to who he created us to be. And Paul says from first to last, that kind of life is lived by faith. And that is what Romans is all about. And Paul is gonna spend the next 15 and a half chapters unpacking for us, what does that look like in our lives? Who, who is God? What, what does his holiness require of us? How does he make a way for us to experience um, life, eternal life with him in his presence when we are not holy ourselves? And then how does that unpack and how does that play out in our lives in the way that we live, the way that we see other people, in the way that we relate to others in our lives? So what do we do with, do with this? So let me give us a couple of applications as we kick this series off. The first is, to let the gospel grow deeper in you, to, to really spend some time and to fully engage with us for the next 11 weeks. Make it a priority each week to join with us, whether that's here in, in, in person or online, but make it a priority to engage with us. Bring your Bibles with you. Make sure you grab those message notes when, when you come in. It, grab one of those reading plans. And again, wrestle with what Paul says is true about God and what's true about you. Journal down some questions that you have. 
And, and then circle up with some other believers. Use those discussion questions or just use your journals and sit down and say, hey, this is what God seems to be teaching me right now. What, what's he teaching you? And then the second is to let the gospel grow wider through you. Um, as we saw today, this good news isn't just something for us to receive, but there is an obligation. Um, there's a responsibility that we have to share it with others, and why wouldn't we? So he, here's a challenging question for us all to, to wrestle with. It. Who is your one? Who is your one? As you look at the people that God has put in your life, who, who is one person that you can begin to, to form a relationship over which the, the truth of the gospel can eventually travel over? I mean, invite them over for dinner. Get to know who they are. Share your story of the good news and how that has changed your life and see where those conversations go. And I think that if you will, if we will, wrestle with that question of who's your one, it'll force us to ask some hard questions of look inwardly and saying, am I as eager to share the gospel as Paul was? Or has it kind of come to this concept that no longer excites me to share with other people? Let me pray for us as we dive into this great letter together. God, we thank you that through the, the thoughts that you put into Paul's head and through the letters that, that Paul put down on a piece of paper, that we have a better understanding of the gospel, that this good news of what you have done on our behalf, that you did for us what we couldn't do on our own, and that you conquered sin and death and instead gave us peace and forgiveness. But then, God, you also put within us a, a responsibility to, to share that with others. And, God, I, I just pray for our own hearts that we would wrestle with that and understand where our eagerness is or where it's not. Um, God, renew within us as believers an excitement, um, an appreciation of all that you've done and to live our lives in response to that. And for those that are still wrestling with this idea of, of who you are and what you've done, God, I, I pray that your spirit would begin to implant the truths of the gospel in their lives and that they can respond to that good news that you offer as well. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for uh, opening up our lives to your word. And now I pray that you give us the courage to apply it into our lives and to change as we chase after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.